Amen. You may be seated. Good to see everybody today. Um, it is a good day for many reasons. The day the Lord has made. We get to have the baptisms today that you guys get to, to witness, which is just so awesome. Um, my baptism for me was really meaningful when I came to faith in Christ, and I love seeing them and knowing the impact um, that we've had. Um, what's really cool is today is that um, like the, the individuals getting baptized has come, have come to receive Christ in the last few years through a ministry of the church, so we're very excited about that. That's cool. God is advancing His kingdom um, through 12th. Now, next week is the missions conference. Let me grab my little clicker thing. Um, and we, it's really significant. It's an important part of what we do because it's an important part of God's heart, His heart for the nations. That's why we have the flags up. 52 weeks out of the year. Because of this emphasis, we always want to be visually reminded of this. And it's a big deal around 12th. And so next weekend, we're going to launch. We're going to have a few things that I just want to encourage all of us to attend. One, we're going to have an experience next Saturday for lunch. I don't want to say a whole lot about it, but it's, it's, I encourage you to be there. It's going to be an awesome experience. You guys ever go to the Planet Sub? And you go with a friend, and I order the Planet Sub, and I almost always, I'm with a friend, they're like, I'll have an experience. Um, You guys had that experience there? And then they ask, do you want half an experience or whole experience? And a lot of times they're like, well, I want half experience. I'm like, I'd want a whole experience personally. So next week, Saturday, we would love for you to come have that whole experience. It'll be very meaningful. It'll help you understand what it means to engage other cultures. Um, So I want to invite you to take your phone even right now, lift it up. Sign up for that because we really need to know how many to come. The people that are coming to put that on for us are buying food this week and need to know how much um, to prepare. We're also having two meals next week, and I want to challenge everybody here. Um, the whole missions experience, just Sunday morning is not enough. The speaker speaks Saturday, Sunday morning, Saturday evening, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and there's a continuity to what they're doing. And so I want to challenge you, if all you've done with our missions conference is just do the Sunday morning Expand your horizons. Come experience the whole thing. Um, and again, we need to know how many numbers are that. Christian Challenge is cooking supper for a Saturday night, so you'll get a supper. It helps fund what they're doing globally. And then we're having a catered dinner Sunday night. But we're, again, we're needing to know numbers. So if you could get on that and punch in like, I'm going to be there. I really challenge you to make this an emphasis. If you've not done the whole experience, that's kind of a key theme, huh? Then jump in on that. So we always like to, since I've been here, I like to even set up missions conference a week or two ahead of time. And I want to speak very briefly, and then we're going to have a couple of our missionaries come up and share. So this summer, I went through Psalm 19. I don't know if you remember, we spent two weeks on it, how God reveals himself through his works, through creation, and through his word. And when we talked about his works, we learned that God does, people can he has made himself known through his creation. Psalm 8.1 says, you have set your glory in the heavens. And Isaiah 6.3 says that the whole earth is full of his glory. It's full of his beauty. Um, Psalm 19, when we studied that, says the heavens declare the glory. They declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words, to the ends of the world, which is a phrase that ends up being repeated in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when Jesus commissions his church. Psalm 97, 6, that the heavens proclaim his righteousness, that all people see his glory. 
And then that week, we went to Romans 1, a really key text that says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And that morning, I talked about a couple of things that God has made Himself known in creation, but the thing Scripture is really clear, that the amount of information that I can know about God is extremely limited. Extremely limited. From Psalm 19, I can know that God, I can see his beauty, his glory. I can see his artistic ability, the, the handy, his handiwork with his hands, how he's designed everything. From Romans 1, what I can see from Romans 1 is that God is powerful, right, to create all of this, that he is a person, that he is divine. And then finally, that God is invisible, his invisible qualities, that he is not something I can create an object that represents a created thing and worship that, that he is the invisible God. And so I shared a couple of stories how that um, Don Richardson in his book, um, Eternity in Their Hearts, has talked about as the missions movement has gone into the nations, that frequently as they've gone into different societies and cultures and ethnic groups, they have found groups of people who refuse to worship idols. And who, who knew, they didn't know much about this God, limited information, but they're like, he is invisible, and we cannot bow down to an idol. I think created thing does not represent him. And many times when missionaries came to those peoples, their hearts were already prepared to receive him because they had been worshiping the true and living God with the limited information they had. Does that make sense? The Karen are a great example in Burma. Adniram Judson, who was a Baptist. That doesn't really matter. He was a missionary who went there, and they had refused, like every, most of the people around them who worshipped idols, they had refused to do that, had actually been visited by somebody, likely an angel, several generations before, somebody bright in their, their what they were told, what they, they communicated, that a man would come with lighter skin, he would bring something, he'd be carrying something with him to tell them about this God that they worshipped. And when he showed up, they so quickly received the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because they were ready. I shared that day how there was a Chinese student who came here who her family worshipped God and they called him in Chinese, Tin Ye, which means the grandpa in the sky. But they refused to have an idol shelf in their home. They refused to worship ancestors. They believed he was invisible, powerful, but she didn't know much about him. And as she came here and got to know the Bible, she's like, this, I'm finally finding out the God we worshipped, who he is and what he is like. And so that's why we send people to the nations because we want people to know. And next week in the missions conference, and I encourage you to grab a card on the way back. There will be a table back there. We always ask for four commitments for you to be praying. How can I be a part of what God's doing? And I can be a part of it by sending, and a lot of us do that. We give financially to our missions budget, and you guys have been so generous with that. That's great. And you pray for missionaries. That's part of our sending. I can also help mobilize. That's what some of our missions committee people have done. And you, God may call you into like, to, missions may be on your heart, and I want to help mobilize this body to even give more of ourselves to that. It could be welcoming. God has brought the nations to us. We have a whole group of, of African students over here in first service that the nations are coming here, and God wants us to welcome them and share the good news. But the fourth one is, is going. And that's the one a lot of us are like, hey, I can, I'll, I'll maybe, I'll, I'll, I'll send and I'll, I'll maybe welcome and maybe mobilize, but that going thing, that's only for like professionals, right? And I want you to know, that's the one that maybe gets the least emphasis because it's kind of scary, but I want us all to be open to the fact that maybe God is sending me at some point to the nations, that he may tap me on the shoulder and say, I want you to go. And so I want us this morning to hear two awesome stories from two of our missionaries of how God did that in their life. Some very ordinary folk 
like me, right? How God um, intersected their lives. So first we're going to have Russinet about dear friends who, have, who were part of 12th a long time ago and glad to have you back from the Springs. Good to see you guys. Love you guys a ton, so. Get this? Yep. Well, hello. Fun for us to be here and, and through the week this time leading up to the missions conference. Um, Garen asked us to share a little bit about our journey into missions, and so that's what we're here to do. Um, this is our story together, but I'm going to be the only one talking, so. <laughs> um, Russ and I both grew up in church but not in churches where we particularly were exposed to what God is doing around the world and really a vision for missions. Um, so it was really when we went to K-State where we met and we both got involved with Campus Crusade back then, now it's crew, um, but we really became exposed to the world and what God was doing and opportunities to be a part of that. It's kind of interesting because what somebody said to me once, it's so cool that you and Russ both, you know, have a heart for missions, and then you found each other, and blah, blah, blah. And I just want to clarify, Russ was interested in missions. I was interested in Russ. So, um, but God had to work on me um, for a while, and I do remember being on a summer uh, missions project with crew in, China, in Japan and China, but um, especially in China, riding on a bus and the, the subtle but weighty voice of God saying, are you willing to do this? And I remember at the time saying, do you mean with or without Russ? And, you know, the edit today would have said, absolutely, I will. And the edit then had to have a little time to work on that one. But we did get married a week after I graduated. Another story. Uh, we were interested in missions right away or ministry, but weren't sure what or with whom or even where. And so Russ ended up getting a job here in Emporia. He was the plant engineer at Bungie, the soybean processing plant on the east side of town. And I ended up working for Big Brothers Big Sisters as a caseworker, which I loved. We both loved our jobs. Um, but I realized that that missions bug that bit us in college uh, could have shriveled up and gone away. Then we were out of college and working. We bought our first house, etc. But because of this church, that missions bug that bit us in college continued to grow fatter. It was fed, and it wouldn't leave us alone. And our interest in missions continued to grow. Um, we loved the missions conferences here. We always volunteered to have the missionaries over for dinner <laughs> and ask them questions. And every group that came along sounded so important and good, and we just wondered what we should do. And our pastor back then, Don Bryant, uh, told us at one time, you know, you seem to be spending a lot of emotional energy considering every option. You're plugged in here. I want to encourage you to continue to just be faithful, continue to be plugged in here. We were working with the youth like another part-time job, just loved, loved the youth ministry. Russ was on the missions team, and I was on the worship team. And he said, I think God's going to let you know when it's time to go, as you just do what you know to do that's right in front of you. And that's what happened, actually. And it was at a missions conference here at this church. George Murray was the speaker. He was the speaker at our missions conference two years ago. Uh, so when we were here for that, that was really fun for us. 
I remember looking at his topics for that missions conference. Uh, it was on the deity of Christ. And I thought, what does the deity of Christ have to do with missions? Turns out, everything. <laughs> because if Jesus is, in his essence, God, uh, then what are the implications of what he said and what he told us we should be doing? And it was that tap on the shoulder where God said, it's, it's time to go. And we'd enjoyed five incredible years here in Emporia, but we started looking at, because we knew we had a next step, which was getting more biblical training. We'd been told that by all the missions we talked to. And so um, we started looking, thought we knew where we were going to go, but the next year's missions conference, we had a speaker, his name was Terry Holbert, and he was the dean of uh, the Columbia Biblical Seminary and Graduate School of Missions in Columbia, South Carolina. And he said, we, I know about that other school, but if you're interested in missions, you at least have to come and check out Columbia because our heartbeat is missions. Our professors are all former missionaries. And so, indeed, we did end up going there. That was another, um, we squeezed three years into five, went with one baby, came home with three. You know, it was a crazy time, but we had some incredi incredible Bible training, and that was um, part of what God had in his preparation for us. You know, some other things were really clicking with Russ as an engineer. You know, he has a very logical mind. And even a very simple illustration, like, you know, you see 10 people carry, trying to carry a heavy log, and there's nine on one end, and there's one on the other end. You know, where would you go to help? And he said, you know, I would go on the end where there's the one person that needs the help. And so we both kind of felt like, you know, we're probably not the type or the temperament to whack a new path through the jungle uh, with a machete to people, you know, who've never heard of Jesus. Although we know people who do that and they're incredible. But we thought, we think we could be part of a team. We weren't sure where or doing what, but we thought we could maybe be a help as a part of a team somewhere. And while we were in seminary, we were um, introduced to OC, One Challenge, which is the mission we've been with for the last 30 years now, and really began to see a fit. They were people that we felt like, we want to be like those people when we grow up. And we really loved their philosophy of ministry and this um, component they had that was research-based, which we thought Russ would be a great fit for, and turns out he was a great fit for that. I'll just mention there's one other conference speaker back in those early days who was Robertson McQuilkin, who was the president of the seminary that we ended up going to. And he was at this conference and had brought his wife, Muriel, who had Alzheimer's disease. And we had no idea that they would serve as a model for us in our future. But that was another very impactful mission speaker. Um, Anyway, you know, the story goes on after that, and there's so many pieces to this story, and so many people in this church have come alongside us and made our ministry possible, our going. Uh, there's just so many stories. But I do just want to end with this thought that God doesn't waste anything. Um, it's interesting how, you know, Russ has an engineering degree. He also has a Master of Divinity degree, which was so helpful. No regrets. But on the field, he ended up really fitting into this role of research, which our team, our teams all over the world take very seriously because we have identified, um, you know, we go province by province updating research 
showing where the churches are. I mean, churches of every flavor, really. And then we can identify what church, what areas have no church or are very underchurched. So that, like in our case, we were in the Philippines for 22 years, that Filipino church pastors and lay leaders can identify those areas that need churches and plant churches in those areas. So Russ ended up using a lot of his engineering skills, <laughs> not for engineering, but designing a huge database and an interactive website and analyzing data and making maps to make a very visual image of where churches are needed in the Philippines that would communicate with Filipino pastors. So that was kind of funny. And then, you know, when we were in seminary, I was able to take a class a quarter on a spouse tuition grant program, and uh, just for my own benefit, for my own fun. And when God, um, after our first term, really laid on my heart this idea of teaching in the high school Bible department at Faith Academy, um, I was the one who ended up pulling off our seminary notes <laughs> of the Bible classes we took and books we had used and figuring out how to bring some of these uh, principles alive to high school students. So it was interesting. It's not what we would have expected. But one other thing um, that I think is kind of funny, but some of you know that there was a ministry very near and dear, still is very near and dear to our hearts called Children's Garden. And it's a ministry to street kids in Manila, and especially uh, teenage boys who are coming off the streets. And they're getting saved and getting an education, and it, a very cool story. But for many years, I was on the board there, and then for a period of time, I was the chairman of the board. And there was a time when they had to complete a, oh so much paperwork to get their licensing through the Department of Social Services. And the board members, and especially the chairman, had to complete information about what our qualifications were to serve on the board. And I was actually able to write on there that I had been a caseworker for Big Brothers Big Sisters. Um, I had worked at a uh, Center for Juvenile Delinquent Girls in Beloit, Kansas, which was my hometown. And I worked in an adult psychiatric hospital in their activity therapy department. And I just kind of had to smile because I, I thought I left all of that, that life behind. And I did in a sense, um, but I just didn't see any way God was going to, you know, use that. And then when I was writing that on that form, I just smiled at God and thought, you really don't waste anything, do you? <laughs> you know? It was kind of cool that I was able to provide those qualifications for our organization so they could get licensed. So anyway, many more stories, no time to tell it. But um, I have a super simple just display at the back with a QR code for OC's new website and some information if you are interested in, you know, exploring a two-week trip or a two-month trip, two years, or the rest of your life. You could uh, talk to our director of recruitment or talk to Russ and I, and we'd love to talk to you more. So, Thank you, guys. Can we sh show them honor? Yep, go see them after. Jonathan Jonathan, and Jessica are on the field with uh, the IMB, the International Mission Board. And his wife, Jessica, came to Emporia State University, went to school here, got involved in the international student ministry, and through that ended up uh, sensing a call into God's global mission and married you yeah. and other stuff. But mm -hmm. I'll let you tell your story, Jonathan. So we're John and Jessica, and our little one is Adar. You might have seen her running around outside. And... Uh, if you, sometimes I think we, we kind of enter this space and we hear missions and missionaries and 
Great Commission, and I think we leave with different understandings of what that means, right, what it looks like. Um, if you were my dad and you, or you heard him, uh, when I, he discovered that I decided to go into full-time ministry, his response was, wait, what's a missionary? So you're telling me you're going to play around with your life and go broke. Wait, so you're going to go speak at churches to raise money so you can go travel the world. That's what my dad thought. See, it wasn't until my freshman year of college 20 years ago when someone shared the gospel with me and I gave my life to Christ. It was really a decision which changed the trajectory of where, where I was going. My parents, they immigrated to the United States in 1979. Dad worked at a restaurant during the day and enrolled in trade school at night. He was always very handy, wanted to become an electrician. Mom worked at a garment factory, and when I was born, they put an industrial sewing machine in our living room. I remember falling asleep to the sound of the motors and waking up to my mom looking over my homework, practicing her English. My dad, now with two sons, and decided against trade school, went into the restaurant, worked from early mornings to late nights, six days a week. And even on his days off, he would help my mom, help his family, help our neighbors. My dad wasn't the type to just sit around. He really didn't like just sitting around. My parents worked really hard to provide a better life for their kids. Years later, I served in a Muslim country, and you couldn't be open in a country like this, so I worked at a nonprofit, and we would travel into tribal areas and dig wells. And clean water gave us access to people who wouldn't otherwise be as open. I also taught at an Islamic university, and one day on the way to class, I bumped into a student named Usman. Now, Usman was a genuine seeker of God. We'd have him over for meals and share the Bible stories with him, and he wanted to hear more. He also asked pretty good questions like, what, what does baptism mean? And Muslims pray five times a day. Do Christians pray five times a day too? Really, really insightful questions. One day, my partner and I, we went with him outside the city to explore some ruins. And we came back late at night, uh, past the military curfew. We were so exhausted. We were eager to say goodbye and good night. Then Usman invites us in to his dorm. I tried to rationalize, right? We, we spent all day together. I'll, I'll see you next weekend, right? I tried to explain we were tired, we were spent, we had to get through all the checkpoints, that's gonna take time. But then my partner and I looked at each other in the car and said, isn't this why we're here? We accepted. I go into his dorm, one of Usman's neighbors down the hall hears all the commotion and comes over. His name is Ishmael, dairy salesman, in town for a business meeting, going home the next day. Naturally, the conversation goes, like, why are you here? What are you doing in this country? And I shared that I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't come from a Christian family. And I gave my life to Christ later in life. That blew his mind. Wait, you can choose to become a Christian? It's not something you're born into? So we shared the gospel with him and spent the next few hours looking through the scriptures. When my partner and I head out to the car, Ishmael runs out after us hands us his mailing address. He kind of looks around and asks for a copy of the New Testament in his heart language with instructions on how to start reading God's word. Usman later, before I left the country, confided in me that as he's been reading the New Testament, he'd been experiencing a peace when reading that that he didn't experience when reading the Quran. He said he'd be up late at night reading the parables. He'd be confused by the meanings of the parables. He'd want to call me. And I said, don't, don't call me at 3 a.m. And then he turned the page and he'd understand the meanings of the parables. One of the last questions he asked me, what would happen to me 
if I became like one of you? What would happen to me if I became a Christian? To my parents, the gospel isn't for people like them. To my parents, people like them don't become missionaries. That's what young people do. That's what people with seminary training do. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The gospel is for people exactly like them. The Great Commission needs people like them and like many of you. Now more than ever, across the world, lostness is at its peak as more places restrict missionary and gospel access. As we see wars, famines, natural disasters take innocent lives and displace others. That's why the Great Commission needs people like my parents, needs people like Jessica's parents. Her dad was a fireman. Her mom was a nurse. Like many of you, they understand the value of working hard and caring hard for the people who matter most, for putting your hand to the plow and getting the job done. That's why the Great Commission needs people like farmers, engineers, mechanics, grandmas, moms, and dads, plumbers, people who will use real-world skills, real-world experiences to do what you do here over there so that when you bump into an Usman or an Ishmael who's just in town for, for a business meeting, you can tell them the gospel. The lost, the lost needs more people like Mark and Dana from Colorado. At the age of 45, empty nesters, they leave everything behind, they move overseas, and when they retire, the Lisu people began sending missionaries on their own for the first time. The lost needs people like Don and Ann from Ohio, dear friends of ours. He was a retired army surgeon. They moved to Central Asia to treat refugees with landmine injuries, similar to the soldiers he treated wounded by IEDs. The lost needs people like Johnny Anita from North Carolina. She was a teacher. He was a handyman at a Baptist hospital in Yemen when terrorists killed three missionaries in 2002. The hospital director wasn't even an administrator by training. He was a supermarket manager. Our God is a God who launches people who aren't ready, who aren't sure, but who are willing to be faithful. Because yeah, God wants to use college students. They're going. But God also wants to use empty nesters, retired army surgeons, supermarket managers, and many people like you to go. Thank you guys for, for this time this morning. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. Give honor to them. The Bauks and the Hans will both be here next week to the missions conference too, so you'll get more chance to see them. Yeah, even after this service, uh, grab one of them and talk to them and say hi to those guys. So God is at work in the among the nations, and we very much want to be a part of that. And so please... Get in the whole experience next week in the missions conference, and I really want to challenge all of us. Can we all, before the Lord, lay down our hearts before him, like in Isaiah when God says, who will I send? And he says, here I am. I'm willing, send me. And I know it sounds tough, but God can use, he may tap you on the shoulder, and he can use your skills overseas and put you in contact with people who desperately need to hear the gospel. So as next week, as you're thinking about response again, we all want to be sending, and a lot of you do that. Perhaps God will call me to help be part of mobilizing this body, perhaps welcoming the nations that come to us. But can we all just say, Lord, maybe you want to send me, and here I am. So I'd like us to take a minute, like we do every week, 
go to the Lord in prayer, silent prayer. And that's the thing I'd really challenge you to do, is to just to be willing to lay down your life and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing with me. You may call me to go, you may not, but here I am, send me. So let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. So, Lord, we just lay down our lives before you, and we want to say you're the Lord of our life. You're the one who saved us. You gave everything. How do you want me to be involved in your global mission? And that we would just respond to you. But, Lord, we want to have open hearts that perhaps you may call us at some point to go and to use our skills in some other culture to be part of the light that shines out there. So, Lord, may we be a body of people that are open to that possibility and that our surrender to your Lordship. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. You guys ready for a baptism? Yeah. I am so excited uh, for this. Yeah. If our people that are getting involved want to come on up and the, those getting baptized, you can make your way up here and have a seat up close. I want to say a few things before um, we do that. We do have eight individuals who... I'm trying to pull up something here. We have eight individuals who are getting baptized this morning. We had five in the first service, and we're having three in this service. The videos are all going to be online, so I really challenge you, encourage you to, to see the, the slides that got shown, I mean, the, the videos that got shown first service. They were great stories. Um, two young ladies who accepted Christ at Super Summer, and, and then we had three adults, uh, Tyler, who started coming here a few years ago and accept, gave his life to Christ, and then um, Summer and Corey, a couple who both um, ended up being here, had a major tragedy in their life, but came to accept Christ. So very excited about it. We've got three young strapping college guys this service that we're going to, who've given their life to Christ. Um, so let me say something about baptism. I'm assuming that that's not working, um, and that's okay. So here's, oh, here it is. That's it. Okay. It is working. As these guys are coming up here, I just want to make something really clear, if I may. That them coming up here and getting this water, this is not part of what makes them become saved or in a relationship with God, right? They've already entered into that relationship with Jesus. They've received Him as their Lord and as their Savior. Um, I, will, I know some of these guys' stories, like I know Russell's story. Um, I know Sam's story somewhat. But they've come to accept him at some point, and this is them coming forward and saying, I want to publicly declare that. Um, here's what Scripture says that's really significant. Um, and as you hear their stories, you're going to hear them say at the end, I've gone from death to life. I've been made new. And there's a reason that we do that. Because a lot of people, I know, because I grew up unchurched, right? 
I think a lot of people grow up in our culture thinking that what Jesus and Christianity are about is making bad people good, right, or good people better. And I want you to know that has nothing to do with Jesus and the gospel. What Jesus and the gospel is about is taking people who are dead, dead in their sins, spiritually dead, and making them alive. So Christianity is not about bad to good. It's about death to life, and that's a huge radical difference. And I didn't know that for a long time. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, writing about this. He says, because of his... Oh, let's, I want to back up one. Um, As for you, you were... What's that word? You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful selves and following its desires and thoughts. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, God made us, what? alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by His grace that you were saved, through faith. That is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, lest we would brag about it, right? It's all Him. He's the one that gives us new life, those who are spiritually dead in our sins, separated from Him, at risk that if I don't take care of that sin problem, I will be eternally separated from Him after judgment and experience eternal death. But he's the one who gave Jesus so that he can give me new life if I will accept him and his offer of forgiveness and of new life in him. And that's what the gospel is all about. It's from death to life. It's not from bad to good, okay? I misunderstood that for a long, long time. I love the good news of Jesus. It's much better because I was dead in my sin and the fact that he gave me new life many, 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 many years ago. Um, So when they're coming up here, yeah, and Jesus said this himself in John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, and in the Gospels when he says that, that's like, listen, this is really important. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over, would you read this with me? From death to life, from death to life. That's the good news of Jesus. And so as these people are entering into this baptism water, I just want you to know what's kind of going on here because the Bible, and you don't have to pay attention to that too much. I'll point a couple of things, but our God is a covenant-making God. When he makes sacred agreements with people, there's always a sign that goes with that covenant, a visible outward sign. Just like in marriage, when I get married, my vows are what make me married. I could stop at the vows and go home and we're legally married. But then we exchange rings as a sign of that agreement, a visible public sign. Does that make sense? So Noah, God made a covenant with Noah after the flood, and what was the sign of that covenant? The rainbow, right. And he has a a sign for the new covenant. The new covenant is this, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So if I'll I'll put my faith and trust in him, he says, I'll give you eternal life. And the sign, the outward sign of this covenant is baptism, is baptism. So baptism, let me back up sorry I hit that by accident, doesn't make someone have a relationship with God. It's only a sign that someone has already entered in that relationship by receiving Jesus. So are we clear on that? That's really important. And here's what signs do. Sign is a visible token to show people of an agreement I've entered into. So I wear this ring to show that I'm married. But it also is a picture 
Um, when I marry people, I say a ring, there's three things I say, but one of them is it's in a circle, an unending circle to show the unending love and, and commitment that's, that marriage is to be, that I don't just opt out one day, right? That I'm to, be, I'm to be in that unendingly. So it's a picture of something. And baptism is the same way. Um, <laughs> I figured it out. Thank you. That Jesus died for my sin. So imagine when they're in the water and they go back and they come out, he died for my sin. He was buried, and he rose to new life in order to offer me forgiveness of my sins and new life with him. That if I receive him, like you guys have done already, if I receive him, I die to my old self, I am buried, and I rise to new life. In receiving him, I'm cleansed from my sin and risen to new life in him. So the picture of baptism is is there's the old me, I come to Jesus, the old me dies when I received him, and then there's the new me in Jesus. So it's all a picture to show people the, the story of the good news. Okay? So I just want you to know, this is not like one good thing they're doing, adding to their other good things, hoping it balances the good-bad balance so they can be with God forever. That's not what's happening. Okay? One more thing I want to say. That doesn't mean baptism is unimportant. Because I think sometimes I say that and people hear, oh, that's not so significant. It's extremely significant. It's extremely significant. Here's what Jesus said. In his great commission, go and make disciples, number one, of all nations. Number two, when you've made a disciple, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then three, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So when somebody becomes a disciple, a follower, the next thing Jesus wants and desires and expects is to put on the sign of that agreement, to get baptized. That's why baptism is called the first step of obedience. Once I've come to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, it's really significant. It's very significant. At Western culture, churches in the West have tended to undermine, I think, the importance of baptism, and I want to elevate it. That's why we quit doing it over there Sunday evenings and brought it over here, because it needs to be here for all of us, right? Baptism is not an add-on, all right? Like, you get a car... And you go, you know, I might get power windows or I might get chrome, but they're not that necessary, right? Baptism is not just some add-on. It's actually very significant. And Jesus commands that when you come to receive him, that you follow him in baptism. Can you imagine a guy saying to his wife, I'll marry you, but I have no interest in wearing my, my wedding ring in public. Can you imagine somebody saying that? Young ladies, I mean, can you imagine? No, you can't imagine, right? So baptism is important. It doesn't save me but it's extremely significant. So, all right, you guys ready? Is God not good? Yay, God, would you stand? We wanna, we wanna end in worship, so would you stand with us?
Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of For those of us who've accepted Christ and we've been through our own baptism, let this be a reminder to us of that commitment to Him and a chance to renew that in our own hearts today to even reflect on this, the stories, the awesome stories, and like, I've been brought from death to life if I know Him. And just to say, Lord, I thank you for everything. I just renew that commitment to you. If you're here this morning and this whole idea of coming into an actual living, breathing relationship with God as your Father through Jesus is a new idea. I've got a booklet for you in the back. There's an information desk in the corner on your way out. Just grab one of those, slip it in your pocket, and when you get home and read that, and it'll talk to you about how you can come to know Him personally. And if you're here today and you're a believer and you're like, you know what, I've, I've said my vows, I accepted Christ, but I, I've been ashamed to wear the ring in public, so to speak. I have not taken that step of baptism. And uh, I, I put something together. There's a little thing back there that says baptism on it. Um, you can pick one of these up if you're a believer, and you can read about the importance of it. Um, we'll be doing one of these in February. would love to see you come to, to do that if that's a step that you've not taken. So, All right, can I pray? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these lives that we've celebrated, the five earlier. These three guys, the stories and just... How moved we are that you came to save us when we didn't care about you. 
and the new life you gave us and the new life we see in them. Lord, may they be faithful to you as they stumble towards you, three steps forward, two steps back, but may their lives just continually be a pursuing and chasing after you. And Lord, just again, thank you for this day to witness this, to hear the stories. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen. All right, 12, a lot of people who do not know Jesus don't have a relation with God. So 12, you are sent to your places, all right?